Hello there gentlemen, James Marshall here in amazing, wonderful Lisbon, Portugal, a country which I will soon be calling my home. And I'm just here at Sasha's conference, taking a little time out for an Ask the Naturals. So here is the question for today. Liam is always talking about that men are suppressing their sexuality and what about women? Aren't they also su suppressing their sexuality? Because suppressing is, sounds like a tongue twister now, suppressing your sexuality comes from Christianity. What Liam also says makes me curious, aren't women doing the same thing? Because when you have fantasies, you are saying, I don't have that and I want to have that. Isn't having a fantasy also an outlet of suppressing your sexuality? Doesn't this lead to addiction? I find this a very interesting question. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Thanks for bringing them up. There's a lot to delve into there. So you ask several things, basically, are women also suppressing their sexuality if we assume that men are? Isn't fantasy some kind of expression of suppression? And can this not lead to some kind of addictions or sexual compulsions? Well, yeah, <laughs> those are big questions. In answer to the first one, the simplest answer is yes. Women definitely affected by suppression mechanisms in terms of their sexuality. And in fact, I would say the truth is that they are far more oppressed, suppressed, and have more complicated structures to try and navigate through whilst trying to reconcile their sexuality. So let's look into this a little bit more deeply. Historically, let's say uh, since the advent of Christianity in the Western world, women's sexuality has integrally been tied to her role in society, in the family, in child rearing, and as property became a thing after the agricultural revolution, when you could actually store wealth, you could pass wealth on, on to generations, it probably became more important to the overall cultural structures and family legacy structures that a woman's sexuality was very controlled in the sense that she was essentially bought and sold by her parents to suitors, that she was ideally a virgin, and then there was morality tied into that with Christian beliefs that sexuality in, in and of itself has a moralistic charge, that you can't just enjoy sex based on your desire to be with somebody. There are all these other obligations, not just to the here and now in terms of your present family relations, for example, but right through to the great I'm almighty who gives such a shit about who you have sex with and is more than happy to damn you to an eternity of hell if you fuck somebody that's not your husband or your wife. So through countless generations and millennia, we have brought, we've come to this position in the modern world where there is a vast array of what is possible and what is acceptable in terms of human sexuality. It's uh, a lot freer than it once was. There are still many places within the world where women's sexuality is 100% controlled in very, very strict conservative religious cultures. A woman's value is tied to her virtue. So that if she is not a virgin, she is worthless. You know, if she was to sleep around or have an affair, that's sometimes grounds for execution. So in those kind of societies, yes, women's sexuality is 100% controlled. It is completely controlled by the legal structures, the religious structures, and then her parents, and then later her husband, have complete control over her sexuality. And that is part of greater control mechanisms designed to keep women in their place and, and use them for child rearing, 
uh, sexual gratification, commodification of them as people. So, that sucks if you're a chick, and how do you express your sexuality in those situations? You don't. <laughs> it's, not, it's not safe to. Or you do it within the confines of your marriage. Now, in the modern Western world, obviously women have a lot more sexual freedom than that. Okay, so there are usually not any legal ramifications for having sex or, or, or punitive ramifications, but there are still moralistic ones. There are still cultural norms and, and ideas about what, what is acceptable for a woman to use her sexuality for. Now, there are still parts of culture within the Western world where it's still assumed that you will not have sex until you get married and that you must retain your virtue for your husband, but for the most part, that's not uh, a modern and realistic idea. Most women are not gonna only have sex with one man in their life. When they have the choice to date different guys or sleep around or have uh, a series of different relationships throughout their life of different types, they will. Because the reality being that female sexuality is not what the church or old archaic societies would presume it to be, which is something that is only based around child rearing and the love and devotion to one male partner, but that female sexuality is wired biologically to be more scattered in its approach. So men, obviously, biologically, we are attracted to a lot of women and given half a chance, we would totally bang them all, pretty much, right? And that is the prerogative of the male and our curse and, and part of our path. For a woman, of course, on a deeper biological level, she is a reproductive machine. And, you know, if she's gonna get pregnant, looking after a child takes a long time, a lot of resources, and you need some kind of support structures around you to bring those up, so that you are going to be more careful with your partners, even though on a logical, uh, you know, modern perspective, we understand, the male and the female understands we can use contraceptives and not get pregnant, but there are still very strong, powerful biological drives that lead us or, or you know, try to influence us in our directions. And so that is then run through our filters of uh, modern society, of, of education, of understanding the truth of the human body, and so that we can adjust, obviously, our behavior so that we're not getting every girl pregnant we have sex with and she's not getting pregnant every time she has sex. However, this will still affect her behavior. Layout on top of that, so, I mean, in these situations, it's not that women are only attracted to one man. Okay, she is a sexual being. She will be attracted to multiple different men. She may be more careful with her selection criteria about allowing man into her bed, and sometimes she may not be, depending on what's going on for her in her life. But layered upon top of this biological basis are all the sociological or conditioned responses. And the force of culture can totally override nature. Right? We see that because uh, every time we roll a condom on, we're using our intelligence, our cultural and our scientific knowledge to override a natural urge. There are all sorts of examples throughout history of tribes and cultures doing things that were not good for the benefit of the species, but were part of the culture and may have affected it to the point where the culture collapsed. Now, the overlay that women have to experience in their sexuality, if they're not from a super conservative background, is still these aspects of judgment around what it means for a woman to be sexual. And the old Christian beliefs, which is mirrored in most, if not all, other major religions, is that virtue and value are aligned. Is that a woman who fucks outside of her marriage is sinful, right? And that she will be punished and that she will no longer be valuable, right? So if she has an affair or loses her virginity, then no one else will see her as a valuable commodity 
and therefore she will not, she has the potential to lose all of her security of being a mother, of having a place in society, you know, of being valued. And so this fear of being rejected from her society, her tribe, of being judged as dirty or unworthy uh, or easy, right, a slutty, all of these wor words which are weaponized or ideas that are weaponized against a woman's sexuality, she internalizes and she's aware of. And uh, usually women have some kind of experience where if, when they start becoming sexual in their teenage years, whatever, 16, 17, 18, depending where she is. And at that age, often women are fairly experimental with their sexuality if they don't have strong cultural forces telling them what they should and shouldn't do. And so they act upon their desires and upon their, you know, young need to experiment and to explore and to feel validated and sexy and enjoy physical pleasure. And often those same girls get punished for this, right? Because the cool guy that fingered them at the party goes and brags about it. Uh, or word gets around. You know, there's a perception that uh, she's an easy girl. She's the kind of girl who fucks. And therefore, maybe she's not boyfriend, uh, sorry, girlfriend material. And the other girls can be quite brutal to this girl for experimenting, for expressing her sexuality for no reason other than that she wants to. And even if she didn't have that experience, she will have seen that experience of girls being slut-shamed by often other girls or guys to the point where their reputation is destroyed. And so a woman, when she's going through her sexual life, she knows it's not realistic that she's only gonna be with one man for the rest of her life. She may have a series of boyfriends or lovers, but in general, she will need to be very discreet about her sexual life. She'll need to navigate this minefield where she has her desire, her animal desire. She's a mammal, a female mammal that wants to fuck and breathe. That's, you know, has cycles that, uh, of arousal, that has attraction to a whole lot of different men under different circumstances, that has all these unconscious triggers that set her off under certain circumstances with certain men that make her want to have sex with them, sometimes and often very quickly, without the need to go on five dates and plan a marriage. So she needs to juggle that, the fact that she is a horny mammal, and the fact that she has to navigate through a society that, that makes judgments about her depending on what, she, based on what she wears, how she presents herself, what kind of photos she puts online, who she has sex with, and how many people know about that. So the truth is that the suppression in women is far greater, I think, than men. Our, our suppression, the suppression of our sexuality is different. There's a different quality to it. For us, it's around the, the judgment of being, the fear of the judgment of being an abuser, right? Of, of actually unleashing your animal in some kind of violent way, right? And so that the, the thing that you may be judged for by society, by women, by other men, is not being able to control your sexuality or presenting it publicly, right? And that, that, that this force, this masculine force, which is a force of power and creativity and good and everything that was created uh, on this planet on some level was driven by this sexual force. And of course, there are the negative aspects of warfare and rape and all the other nasty stuff that definitely is involved in this masculine power. But it's essentially the fear that a lot of men have of being outed as a sexual male that is the thing they're terrified of. And therefore, their sexuality is suppressed. For women, it has a different quality. In terms of your original question, do women experience sexual suppression? Absolutely. And of course, this, women will experience this at vastly different levels. Within the same city, you will have girls whose parents are on their case about never giving it up to a boy. And then you'll have girls who are living in some kind of hippie household where the parents are like handing them condoms and smoking weed with them. So there will be big differences in the way that women experience this suppression. And so a woman who has had more freedom 
who's been brought up to and encouraged to be sensual, to express herself, to date people if she wants to, you know, hopefully safely, she's likely to be more expressive with her sexuality and to have less sense that she's repressed and less barriers to exploring her physicality with you, for example. Whereas some other girl may have a whole lot of guilt issues and may feel a lot of fear around sexual contact, even though she may physically and emotionally desire it, she may well have very clear mental blocks that say, I can't do this under this circumstance. And that's where you get, you, you start to experience this as a male, when you're approaching girls and you're starting to go out on dates and you're moving things more quickly than perhaps you had in the past, that a girl who's clearly horny or wants to be with you on a first or second date back at your place suddenly puts the brakes on and says, I'm not that type of girl, just so you know. You know, I don't do this kind of thing. Uh, I'm not that easy, right? So these kinds of expressions that come up from a girl, I mean, of course, if she doesn't want to get sexual with you, that's a different thing. That's just no lack of desire or it's moving too fast or she wants uh, more time or something like that. That's different, but if a girl has desire and her fear is blocking her, then this is, this is where the repression is coming into play. So in simple terms, the way that you need to understand this, I mean, I think it's interesting to understand the female condition. I think it's a really important aspect of your education in terms of understanding people. And if you want to be a great seducer, it's not about viewing the, the woman as an enemy or as an other that you are trying to conquer. If you understand her empathetically and you, and you can get inside her world a bit and, and see what would it be like to have to balance your sexuality with all this moralistic judgment? And what would it be like to, be, to have to balance your sexual desire with the reality that men can be dangerous, right? And that, and that they can cause physical violence or sexual trauma and a lot of women have experienced that and even if they haven't they're afraid of it right so so stepping over to her side and trying to understand her position is going to make you much more effective more more seductive because you're not trying to break through barriers you're trying to help her to dissolve them because she wants to right let's assume she's attracted to you she doesn't want to have to live with layers of sexual suppression she wants to express herself she wants to be free she wants to be slutty in a good way in the sense that she wants to be able to let out the wilder aspects of her sexuality. But many women don't get to, and they desire to, but because of these constraints, that they actually self-police. Right? That's the, the interesting thing about this kind of oppression is that now in the West, we don't have people banging on your door and seeing who you're fucking. We have systems in place that women will tend to self-police. And so if you can demonstrate to her that the space you have created between you two, and here it's like this, this shape that you live within, whatever space it is, uh, is a safe space. And truly safe in the sense that if you are a man who has less judgment internalized, if you allow for women to have sexual expression, then they will have it around you. Women are very good at telling, being able to tell what is going on with this man. A female friend of mine a little while ago was talking about she flew to meet a, a very wealthy gentleman she met online who courted her, it was very sexy and rich and flew her over to a, an exotic location and she was going over there thinking she was going to have sex with this guy. And this guy had an open kind of polyamorous situation, he had a couple of other girl, girlfriends that were in the, in the space and he went out with these girls and then he was making comments about some other chick at another table saying how slutty she was, how, how her dress was really slutty. And so my friend she picked up on this and she decided then and there she wasn't going to sleep with this guy because even though he was judging someone else she could see that this man holds judgment over a female sexuality based on what she wears so therefore how many steps is it 
away, how is she away from being on the receiving end of that? Not much, because all she needs to do is displease him in some way and then exhibit whatever he perceives to be slutty behaviour and then she's going to be badly judged. Right, so she decided not to engage with that. Because women are filtering, they're looking at what are, what are the man's behaviours, what are his belief structures, what are the topics he's talking about. Is he talking about women in terms of a dichotomy? Sluts and good girls, you know, whores and girls you date, easy girls and girls that, you know, don't give it up. Right, so if he's seeing women in these two dichotomies, he doesn't understand that really that they're the same thing. Right, they're, they're, the truth is there's not two breeds of female, ones that are worthless slutty whores and ones that are virtuous, lovely virgin mothers. It's that there are women who experience being sexual, being animals, and also have to navigate through their cultural life. And so if you understand that and you hold space for that to happen, then she can feel free with you. Even though she may not feel free overall, that there is elements that she feels suppressed by, in the space with you, you let her know through your behaviours, your actions, your encouragement of her sexuality, even if it's really weird to you, then she can start to express herself without fear. And that's when you really start to see who she is on a deep sexual level. It's a beautiful thing to see a woman not worried about what she looks like or what people think about her or whether this is a, a virtuous or moralistic thing to do, but just to do, express based on pure desire and pure presence in the moment. It's a wonderful thing. And if you get to experience that, you're very lucky and, and should feel honored. And you can create spaces where that will happen just as you can create spaces where a girl will feel like she can only show you a very small fraction of her sexuality. You may have had a girlfriend you've been with for years and she only showed you one sliver of what she really wants because she knew that you couldn't handle the fact that she wanted to be tied up and whipped or that she wanted to play with some kind of power dynamic or that she had dark desires for role plays that were culturally taboo. So if you want to be an amazing lover and you want to have the best sex, the best sexual life, then you're gonna to need to embody this. If you wanna hold that some women are sluts, some women are worth your time, all women will know that. And so they will hide aspects of themselves. You'll never get to experience their pure femininity. Second and third questions you asked regarding fantasy, I find these quite interesting questions. So you're asking, isn't fantasy a reflection of the suppression of your sexuality? And can this not lead to addictions and compulsions? So I would say that the answer is yes that in some way fantasy is, a re is always a reflection of taboo, right? Or is a, f a reflection of desire that has some kind of barriers in front of it, right? But that's why, I mean, if you fantasize about a famous person, the, the thing that makes it intense or polarizing is the fact you can't have that person, right? That they're, they're a fantasy figure, they're not real, there's no clear pathway that you could go through to get that person. And so you have a fantasy or create some kind of sexually intense narrative of wanting to be with this person. So when you look at female fantasies, for example, then yes, there is, there is always layers of culture and taboo involved in these. And can this, can this exhibit itself in really unhealthy ways? Then yes, right? So people can, men and women, can suppress their sexual urges and then they pop out in weird and wonderful ways or in destructive or, or illegal ways. But for the most part, they don't really do that. Most people just hold their fantasies inside, especially women, because women's fantasies tend to be far more complex uh, than ours. You, know, you ask the average male, what is his fantasy? It'd be like, well, have sex with hot girls without too much trouble, It'd be something like that. Whereas you ask a woman, and if she'll tell you honestly what her sexual fantasies are, they may involve a convoluted kidnapping scenario with a Arab sheik that 
goes into some kind of semi-torture scene that is then shifts as she's rescued by someone else, you know, and then plays out some kind of family taboo dynamic for the resolution of it, right? So there's so much uh, more depth and complexity usually to female sexuality and their fantasies. Now, this is where, okay, I've answered your question in the sense that, yes, I think that if, for example, you know, if you have an authority figure in your childhood, you're, you're a woman or a girl, and your male teacher or the priest or the best friend of your father or some kind of male authority figure triggers attraction switches in you somehow accidentally when you're a child, and then you fetishize that man or, or this type of man re representing something that you're erotically aroused by. Okay, and so then a woman may take that through her adult life and she'll be attracted to older men or more powerful men or she'll be attracted to dynamics where there is a power imbalance, where, for example, the man is her boss uh, and there is a taboo, there is some barrier in the way of getting together. This is why Romeo and Juliet is such a sexy story, aside from the fact they're children, is that they can't be together because their families hate each other. It's the, 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 the tension of them not being allowed to consummate their love that makes it so tragic and intense. So women will internalize these things and then attach them to certain representations of their fantasy. Now, this is interesting to know, but it's really practically applicable when you start to play with this in your own relationships. If we, if we can understand that, all right, a girl may have daddy issues or she may have authority issues or she may have desire to be dominated or to dominate or to express her wild side or to, to play some kind of innocent, infantile character that is ravished because that takes the responsibility away from her for making the sexual decision, right? So I'm just throwing out some, some ideas and some uh, examples of, of the way a, a female sexuality might start exhibiting through fantasy. And you then, as a male, have the choice to ignore this, judge it in some way, or to allow a space for her to play this out. And this is where ideally I think you want to exist. Most men ignore female fantasies. They just don't, they're not consciously doing it, they just don't know about it. They don't know how to talk to their, their partners about what she wants, what she wants to explore, any role plays she wants to play with or whatever. And so they have whatever sex they end up having and that's their sexual life. And <clears throat> maybe over time they learn more about her anatomy and how to get her off, but they never really delve into the psychological or emotional spaces that she wants to explore. Or they judge it, even worse, right? And this is, I've heard many stories from female friends and lovers and guys who've come to their senses later where the girl has expressed something. She wants to be tied up, for example, or she wants to be fucked really hard, or she wants to be called a nasty name in bed. And her partner doesn't understand this and cannot handle this. And so instead of talking to her about it and say, uh, finding out what's behind that, if he, if he wants to be more educated, uh, he places judgment. Isn't that weird? Or, oh, that's the kind of stuff you're into. Or uh, makes some assumption, oh, okay, daddy issue's coming up. And, and shames her in some way, right? Let's her know that her fantasy, which was created through a whole bunch of series of condition experiences okay so what if she has daddy issues so what if she has issues where she wants to resolve them through playing out some kind of archetypal role play to judge her on that is to say that your sexuality is wrong that i don't i don't approve of it that i have morally looked down upon you and therefore you should be punished in some way right so what does a girl do under that circumstance she shuts down she hides or she removes herself from the man now a third option and definitely the best one is to allow her and encourage her to have these fantasies and help her play them out. 
right? Because the awesome thing about creating a space and leading a woman into her fantasies is that it's super sexy and super fun, right? I've come to, kind of come to the point where I realize I don't really understand all of the processes going on inside a woman's sexuality, right? So I've been sexually open and experimental for a long time and I've tried a lot of different things with women based upon what they have expressed in terms of their desire and their fantasies and the hints that they've given me. And I've come to the point where I realize I don't understand this. I don't feel it. I don't, I don't want to be dominated, for example. I don't know what it's like to have the desire to be totally submissive to somebody else's power. Yet I've been around that enough with women that I accept that this is the way it is often in a, in a sexual context. And that that's a beautiful thing. And when I play that role of being the, the dominant, of being the leader, of being the aggressor, of being the person that's taking her through her fantasy, then she gets to drop into and experience a different aspect of herself. It's her sexuality without judgment. It's wilder. It, yes, it's, it's, it's related to different narratives and maybe different characters throughout, hello, throughout her life. But in that moment, as we're playing this out, it becomes a psychodrama, a healing space, actually. Because she, if she wants to play out an aspect of her childhood that she wants to express through her sexuality, or her fear of men, or her desire for danger, or her curiosity, curiosity about having control taken away from her, or her desire to take power and become a, like a sexual queen or, or a wild woman. Right? These are all different things that I've seen. And when you allow that to happen and you play the complementary role of the dominant, of the leader, or sometimes of the, you know, the sultan who's tied up and pleasured or whatever it is, then she gets to experience aspects of herself that she doesn't experience with other people. She needs you there actually to, to be the mirror image, you know, to be the spark, to create the tension. She needs a man who is able to hold space for her, who is able to step into the role, play out the archetype so that she can do, uh, she can go through this process, this psychodrama of experiencing the, the emotions. You know, she might want to play through some kind of guilt cycle, for example. A girl who has guilt around her sexuality may want you to, you know, in a fun way, punish her and then chastise her and then forgive her, right? And then make her a nice, you know, pure girl again. Now, there's all these different kind of narrative story arcs or character arcs that a girl will want to go through in a, a role-playing scenario, for example. I've been invol involved in doing a lot of BDSM sexuality for some years now, and I've recognized that it's not so much about the, uh, the whips and the chains and the ropes and the dungeons. Right? All of that stuff is just extra theater. Right? All of that stuff is just adding, uh, adding props, which can make things more fun or more amplified. But really, real BDSM is about this understanding of archetypal uh, interplay, of the power dynamics between masculine and feminine, of the need for people to explore their psyche through their sexuality, right? To do therapy, to, you know, it's like essentially to psychoanalyze themselves in real time in a sexual space in one which they feel physically safe and that they feel like their character or their, you know, their self-esteem is gonna be safe. Because in uh, BDSM scenes, sometimes you'll be playing out a scenario where the the woman, in, for example, is being really heavily, aggressively dominated, right? Called nasty words and tied up and slapped around and so on. And to an outside observer, it can look really nasty and savage. But this is done within agreements, right? This is done where the woman has consented to having control taken because she wants to explore what it's like to, to be out of control, to be commodified, to be, to be objectified in a really sexy way. Right? So it's not like women want to be objectified all the time by all men. 
but with a man that she trusts and is uh, aroused by and wants to feel his desire for her, then she may want to experience that of being a pure object just for his sexual pleasure, for example. Right, so there's all these different aspects of her psyche related to her sexuality that she gets to play out in these different scenarios and role plays. It's not just a free-for-all of, you know, flogging and nastiness. It's actually, because if you just go and do a BDSM scene, for example, and you just pull out the stuff and do the hitting and the squeezing and the whatevering, it can be very, very shallow and hollow. It can just feel robotic, right? In the same way that if someone has having vanilla sex and they do the same thing every time and they have their three positions and, uh, you know, their little fingering technique that they know and that's all they do, then it's going to be bland and boring. What makes this kind of sexual exploration really exciting is that it has narrative, right? It take you, if you become good at this, you can take the woman on a journey through different emotions of trepidation, of curiosity, of anticipation, of a little bit of fear and then pleasure spiked with pain. You know, uh, music is my aeroplane. Like all of it, this becomes a wild sexual adventure for the girl. This is the kind of sexual experiences that if you can uh, manifest them for you and your partners, she will remember forever. You will become one of the top lovers of her life, if not the top lover, because no other man even either knows about this stuff, cares about it, is able to not be judgmental about it, and then gives a shit enough to go out and learn how to do this well. So I think we've, we've kind of covered most of the aspects of what you're asking about. The short of this is that, yeah, like I think, can you imagine if in some pre-industrial tribe where all the woman, women walk around topless, right? Do you think the men are sitting there all day staring at the girl's tits going, whoa, check out her rack? No, they're just like, there's what's her name, and like, can we see what's under her loincloth? Because <laughs> right? there's no fetish around breasts in that society. They're just pieces of skin that everyone can see all day. And so therefore there's no taboo around it. Therefore there's no like tension about whether or not we can look at it. Therefore they're not eroticized, right? So in some kind of like utopian society where everyone was like able to be completely free and natural, and uh, there was no judgment and you just expressed your sexuality in any way you wanted to, maybe there would just be less weird shit going on, less kinky stuff, less, you know, dressing up as schoolgirls. You'd just be like, okay, sensually kind of attracted to someone and have kind of like lovely vanilla sex maybe, I don't know. Because it is the, the, the layers of society and judgment and religion and all that other stuff that creates what can be this delicious fucking layer cake of sexual desire. It's like, it's fascinating stuff and it's really fun. I mean, on the fun side, on the bad side, like you're a Catholic and you feel like you're going to hell because you jerked some, your boyfriend off once. That's, uh, that's you know, the, the shitty side of that. You don't want to have to carry around a lifetime of guilt. But if you can see it for what it is, which is play, right? Which is just drama, right? The, the whole cultural fucking overlay is just one big drama. It's not real, like languages and cultures and beliefs and religions. I mean, these are all fantasies that humans have agreed upon and then create, created something, manifested something out. And out of that, we've created roles and archetypes, and some of them shine to a woman as being sexually attractive. Some narratives are forbidden, but really enticing. And all of this adds to create this like sexy soup from which you can start to dabble and navigate within. Is that, you got an image now of you kind of swimming through a sexy soup? What does a sexy soup even look like? Does it have like, you know, little alphabet fucking letters spelling naughty words? I don't know. So, awesome that you're thinking this big picture stuff. It's good to start thinking culturally, biologically, big picture narratives, and then to bring it back to what is that, how is that applicable to you? And the applicable parts are that the modern sexual male who is the superior lover, the, the man that women want to be with, that has an abundance of lovers who are able to express themselves sexually in all sorts of crazy, filthy, wacky, wild ways, uh, that's an amazing thing to be. 
you will get so much more sex, you'll get so much more respect, you'll get to see aspects of yourself and women that most men will never see. Or you can ignore it all and just, you know, just try and hustle girls into bed to, you know, pump them with your three positions and move on to the next one. To me, that's pretty boring. I want to get to the depth of the human experience and this is one way to do it. So keep on fantasizing, go out there and make them a reality uh, for her and she will thank you and be grateful forever. James Marshall signing out, Lisbon, Portugal. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.